Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I'm so very thankful that you tune in to listen each week. Now, if you heard last week's episode with Steve McGuire, we talked about my journey to do the Arrowhead 135 Winter Fat Bike Ultra in 2025. Well, this week, I thought it'd be fun to talk to the director of that event, Ken Kruger. Ken has been the director for more than a decade now and has seen it all. From temps nearing 50 degrees below zero, yes, you heard me, to warm years that barely made it below freezing. And he's here to help us navigate one of the 50 most challenging races in the world. But before we get to my conversation with Ken, I want to help you stay warm this winter. Or it's a great gift, but you got to act fast for Christmas. I've got about a dozen Bike Talk with Dave stocking hats available for you to buy. For only 25 bucks, I will send you one. And if you want to do local pickup, it's only 20 bucks. How can you beat that? Look for Bike Talk with Dave on Facebook or Instagram and shoot me a DM to get one straight to you. Okay, now that that's over and your head is warm and cozy, let's hear all about the Arrowhead 135 race from director Ken Kruger. Uh, Ken Kruger, what a treat to have you on Bike Talk with Dave. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be having this conversation. I hesitate because we'll talk about the why, but it, it means I'm making a bit of a, of a commitment to uh, end up seeing you in person in 14 <laughs> months or so. Oh, that sounds really um, good. I always say the hardest part is signing up. Oh, for sure. For the, the commitment is uh, definitely the scary part. Yeah, after you sign up, you just have to train and execute. Uh, well, it sounds simple. All right, well, thanks. That was a great podcast. We'll see you in 14 months. Um, Ken, you're the uh, race director for the Arrowhead 135. And um, I don't know. Rather than have me describe it, how would you describe what the Arrowhead 135 is? Um, Arrowhead 135, this is our 20th year. It's um, ranked as one of the 50 hardest races on earth. It is run, bike, or ski from International Falls, Minnesota to Fortune Bay and Tower, Minnesota on the Arrowhead Snowmobile Trail. Um, it's done during the coldest part of year, the year in the coldest city in the continental U.S., a um, couple things that make it hard is there's only three aid stations in the whole race. Um, one is a convenience store, 38 miles in. About 72 miles in, there's a, a resort on a lake where we have soup and grilled cheese and stuff. The third checkpoint is in the middle of nowhere. It's a couple wall tents and some stoves. And all you get there is love and water. Um, really great volunteers, but just water. And then um, finish at Fortune Bay. Um, another thing that makes it hard is you have to have mandatory survival gear. Um, 20 below sleeping bag, a bivy sack, a stove fuel, insulated water container, some way to start a fire, reflective gear, you know, all the safety gear. And you're not allowed any outside help whatsoever, only volunteers. So basically only volunteers and 
volunteers are there to check for your safety, not to help. So, and and then we for for the super hardcore people, we offer an unsupported option, where you can't even use the checkpoints other than the check in and out. You get no warming up, no food, no water. Um, how how many people a year do it? How many people tow the starting line? Um, approximately 150. Between uh, bike, run, and ski? Yes. Yep. And how many out of that uh, 150 will do the unsupported? Oh, maybe 10 or 12. Oof. Seems like making hard harder. It, it, um, so there's some people that kind of have it figured out. And so it gives them an extra challenge. And, and only people that have completed the race before are allowed to do unsupported. Hmm. Um, well, there's, there's two things that uh, you brought up. You answered a lot of my questions right then and there, which is awesome. <laughs> Your elevator speech covers a lot, which is great. Um, but yeah, one of, it's considered one of the uh, hard, 50 hardest races on earth. And uh, many people consider it the, the winter ultra in the lower 48. Um, why? I mean, what, what makes it? I know you said a few things, the cold and um, three aid stations. Um, and you get love and some water and that's it at the, uh, the final aid station there. But um, how, how do you suppose it? like elevated to be such a renowned race and considered to be so hard? Um, so let me make sure I answer your question. The people make the race. I mean, and no, most people aren't coming to Arrowhead to win. They're coming for the personal challenge. Of course, there are some people coming to win. Um, but people are just out there to challenge themselves, and, and it is a huge challenge. And and then people just share with their friends, hey, I had this really great experience at Arrowhead. You should try it. And all of a sudden, we get people from Italy and Spain and Netherlands and Australia and New Zealand and just unbelievable pe people coming to International Falls, Minnesota. Um and certainly the weather and the weather and the challenge i think historically our finish rate is 57% and it's cool. a little higher for bikers a little lower for runners and skiers um so definitely a good challenge um i mean e even the people that win i mean the the very fast people it's still a very hard race for anybody uh yeah you talked about the finisher rate uh, there's a time limit on this. What are, first of all, what's a time limit? And second of all, how long do you see it taking kind of each? How long do the bikers take in general? How long do the runners take and uh, skiers as well? So the, the time limit is 60 hours and there's cutoffs to each checkpoint. So if you do the math, you can do 2.25 miles an hour and make it. So that's really slow, but that gives you no downtime for resting or issues or anything like that. 
Um, so most runners, most people on foot will take over 50 hours. And I should oh, have wow. looked before we talked, but the record is, I'm going to say, 32-ish hours. But most people are 50-plus, and, you know, there's always a couple, 58, 59. Um, we've had some finish in 59 hours, 45 minutes, and we've had some miss the final cutoff by 10 minutes. Um, oh. So that's foot. Skiers run the gamut. Over the course of the race, the ski record, 36 hours was a ski record for a long, long time. And then it just kept getting broken, broken, broken. Now the ski record is 22 hours. Um, but wow. again, most skiers are 40 to 50 plus hours. But we had really good conditions and really elite skiers. And um, you know, I think the record got broke like three, four years in a row. Also, by far, we've had the fewest fewest skiers finish. I think we've only had like 37 skiers finish in 20 years. What? Um, Why? I would, have to, I would um, because not many people can ski that far. And, I mean, we have Olympic caliber, Olympian skier. We've had Olympian skiers and, you know, extremely good skiers that don't finish some years because when it's 20 or 30 below you just can't your skis don't glide so you just work crazy oh, hard right. to go nowhere well plus so, they have the same gear requirement as everyone else so they've got to do. carry the sleeping bags and the fire making equipment and the Absolutely nutrition yep um so and you can't the, just it's not just put on your skate skis and rip it like you got to well, haul the, the bag. Well, the very the very fast ones do. I mean, they have this absolute best gear, and they get it all in a backpack, and you know, go 135 miles and hardly fall, and don't miss a beat, and and then bikers really run the gamut. And again, I should have been a little more prepared. The biking record is right around 12 hours, and that was actually set one of the coldest years we ever had. A lot of bikers can do it under a day, and then we still have bikers 50 plus hours. My first year on bike was 54 hours, but oh wow, about 85 miles of that was pushing. Oh, did you sleep that year? That year, um, I rested at the midway. I would say I didn't cheap sleep. I was too excited. <laughs> wow, oh that sounds long. Um. It was above uh, zero I, one hour that year. That, that one year, hour? I think, yeah, one hour. We had a 20% finish rate that year. I made the top 10. We had 10 uh, finishers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hang your hat on that. That's, uh, that's awesome. Um, what's the Etois? So um, the Etois is a special trophy and award and recognition for somebody that has done the race all three ways run bike and ski which obviously takes a minimum of three years um, uh, and again are there a fair number of people who try that i'm gonna i think we only have one this year and and again i sh i could look but i don't want to um but it's maybe 14 or 15 people in 20 years 
Oh, wow. In total. Yeah. I, I could look wow. if you want. I, I would have no, to it's all right. That's, it's yeah, a very it's, low it's, number. Like, it's a very low, low number, yep. There was quite yeah. a not quite a few, but there was some early on, but I don't think last year we had any. Again, it's like, how do you make hard harder? Well, I'm going to do it on skis, and then I'm going to run it, and then I'm going to bike it. And, exactly, um, and then you, you plan on skiing, and uh, then if it's 20 below and you planned on skiing that year, it's, you're going to have to come back another year to ski because it's going to be super tough. Yeah, we've had just amazing people that, you know, are trying for the Etoile, and just for whatever reason, that third discipline takes sometimes a couple years to finish or figure out. I can only imagine... Yeah, like you said, you show up on skis and it's uh, you get a fresh dump of snow and there goes your skiing or you get 40 below. How often do you see it up there? I was up there in 2020. Um, this is in January, so it was pre-COVID. Oh, okay. But um, one, of the, one of the final events before the earth shut down. Yep. But um, gosh, it was a beautiful year. It was gorgeous. I was like, oh, I want to do this. This looks super <laughs> nice. Um, how often is it nice versus just insanely cold? And how do you define insanely cold? So we've our, our finish rate has been anywhere from 20% to 82%. And that's driven by pretty much weather and trail conditions. So I would say of the mm -hmm. 20 years, we've had four or five that were brutal cold, you know, 30 below or worse. We've had, I mean, the 82% finish year was just, for whatever reason, the trail set up hard and it was mild conditions. And it was just a, you know, people did really well that year. Um, we A lot of years we'll get, you know, the really cold years we'll get like, say 35 percent finish rate somewhere in there um so out of 20 years i'd say five that were just brutal brutal cold one year we had a very low finish rate we had 10 10 inches of just heavy wet snow people just got absolutely soaked and there was no the trail was just buried in this heavy wet slop um hmm do you do you have an idea of how many people finish it on their first try? Um, so 57% is the historical average. And some people finish, you know, say 13 out of 13 or, you know, so some people sort of always finish. Uh -huh. um, so rookies, I would say, are... You know, if I had a guess, if overall is 57, I'd say rookies are 47. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a fair number. And that's actually a pretty decent shot at it, if you will. Right, for such right. For one of the world's 50 hardest races on the face of the planet. Yep. Um, so, it is an event I am looking to prepare for, sign up for, and do in 2025. Not Excellent. this winter, but next winter. Excellent. Um, I, it turns out that coming up there and working on a movie, which, by the way, I'm hoping to have out by uh, this Arrowhead. Um, 
Would love to see uh, it. Yeah, thank you, COVID, for putting the brakes on that one. Um, but uh, turns out working on a movie makes you think it's a good idea to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had a conversation with Steve McGuire, and I said, yeah, when I was up there uh, for the movie, I said, oh, if I ever get a fat bike, I should do it. And uh, he's like, well, you don't have that excuse anymore. <laughs> so he's going to make sure I get a fat bike under my feet and, and uh, can do it. But I feel like Thanks, Steve. I need a year and a half. Uh, what's that about, Steve? I said thanks, Steve. <laughs> oh, Just yeah, exactly. For, exactly for getting you motivated. Yep, yeah, yep. For taking away my excuses. Steve is one of the um, BPR back of the pack racing guys, and they are one of my favorite groups of racers, and they are hilarious. Uh, he they has were... invited me in, and I'm very excited. I feel like that increases my chances of finishing. As much as anything else that I can oh, do yeah, in preparation. Oh, yeah, if you have somebody mentoring you and helping you, that's huge. Huge. Yep, yep. I'm very excited for that. Um, so I've got to make my way to the start line. I am... I don't own a fat bike. I've. You, you may not believe this. I've done a film on the Iditarod Trail, uh, 1,000 Miles to Nome. I'm working on this film on uh, for the Arrowhead 135. I've never ridden a fat bike in the snow. It's I've done all kinds of other things, but not that. Piece of cake. It just slower. It'll just be slower than what you're used to. I do think I'm going to have to like actually get used to that for sure. Um, but uh, but I do. I also know that uh, you don't. It's not like. We're doing a five-mile Thanksgiving Day run, and you just have to go online and sign up, and you can do the run. <laughs> and that's not the case with the Arrowhead 135. Um, there's a filtering system, I would call it. Um, how, how does somebody uh, earn their way to the starting line of the Arrowhead 135? So that, that's getting, not getting to be, it sort of is a problem in that we limit our roster so we kind of have four tenants strength endurance solitude survival so we want people to not solitude we i mean if you want to partner up with a buddy and do the race I, that is absolutely fine but if if you think about the numbers I told you before, the first racer finishes in 12 hours and the last one will be close to 60. So that's two days apart. And if, if you do the math in two days and you have, say, 80 finishers, you know, they're spread out a lot. And you can go a very long time without seeing somebody on the trail. And that's what we want. If there was five or 600 people, then this becomes a different race. And oh, by the way, our checkpoints couldn't handle five or 600 people, at least the way we're set up now. So, so, and, and up until this year, there wasn't enough rooms in International Falls to have that many racers. You know, people had to stay 
even an hour away just to get a room. Now we've had in the last two years two very nice hotels built, so that helps. Um, so we do limit our roster, and and more or less it's been first come first serve when registration opens. We'll have so many slots for veterans and so many slots for rookies. And this year we sort of crashed the registration with everybody trying to get on when registration opened. So I've gotten some advice from other race directors, but I'm honestly not sure how we're going to handle that next year. But you do have to have a qualifying race to be accepted, um, which at a minimum is a 100-mile foot race, a 100-mile ski, 100 miles off-road on bike, which would be a bare, bare, bare minimum, or 200 miles on-road on bike. Hmm. Um, do you have specific races that you look at or I suppose not because if somebody's coming from Switzerland you can't say right. oh you had to do I don't know and, and people so so somebody asked why do you have qualifiers and I said okay literally today I got a this is a this is years ago now the applications are online but we used to get them in the mail and literally I got an application the same day one guy said hey my buddy and I slept outside in the fall and it was kind of cold and we rode our bikes for 10 miles and we want to try Arrowhead and then the same day I get this application you know hey I'm military cold weather survival expert you know up in Alaska doing wilderness rescue and you know, I've done these crazy races, and it's like, which guy would you let in? That's an easy one for sure. Yeah, so th that's why we have the qualifiers to um, be, and even, so everybody that signs up for Arrowhead is capable of finishing, um, but, but slightly more than half do, and some, I mean, we'll have people drop sometimes at the first road crossing, just for whatever it's not their day or they had equipment issues or whatever. Well, we'll talk about uh, what uh, what gets me in offline here, but... Um, Chocolate uh, always works. <laughs> I'm for good my for wife. chocolate. <laughs> we used to have a guy <laughs> that... a special kind? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we had... We, we used to... So now we do registration online, but we used to do them in the mail, which was kind of fun because people really... I bet. It really was, um, but one guy who's a he's an awesome racer, and we would let him in every year, no matter what. But he would always send some chocolate for my wife with his application, so that's why I was kidding about chocolate. Uh, dark or milk or anything like... goes. All right, I'll remember that. I'll remember <laughs> that. Um, uh, okay, so once somebody does find themselves. Uh, signed up, accepted, and they're heading to International Falls the end of January. What what do you think are the three most important things somebody can do to prepare themselves to be successful at Arrowhead, weather permitting? Um, so, so certainly... I'm a huge believer in training. My, If I was going into Arrowhead, say, a month out, i try to do, a, at a minimum, eight hours simulating race conditions and more like 12. And mm. so 
so I would go out with all my gear and go for at least 8 to 12 hours and and actually what saved me one year is I was going to ski that year and I was doing my long ski and I went for 10 hours and it was 10 or 12 below and I went nowhere and was exhausted and I'm like okay if it's this cold I can't ski Arrowhead which it was that year mm. and I didn't ski and nobody finished um, so that's an advantage for me living here so so um, one th so so the training a, a a very long one a month out or you know eight eight or ten or twelve hours isn't very long but that's kind of my my guideline and then um and then call it base training if you will on top of that so one is the training two is the equipment we have a lot of the bikers have mechanicals um and and i'm I have no opinion on tubeless or tubes, but I would say at Arrowhead when it's very cold, 90 plus percent of the issues with tires are tubeless in the very, mm -hmm. very cold. Mm -hmm. um, and so also going on with equipment, um, we have racers drop, I would say virtually every year because their bladders leak and they get soaked. Oh, yeah. um, bike, bike mechanicals, bladders, those are big. Um, so, so just your gear. Um, you know, one year we had a guy, a very capable racer. He modified his sled the night before the race. And it was literally like putting brakes on his sled. Oh. He did a side-by-side -side with his two sleds, his old sled and his modified sled. And the new sled, he pushed it and it barely moved. So he dropped, you know, real early, and he was certainly capable of finishing. So equipment would be two. Um, and then just just have all your, so you don't have to worry, how, how am I getting there, where am I staying? All, you know, you have to get through the gear check, have a plan for how am I going to get home, how am I going to get picked up, so you can just focus on your race. That, um, But... Training certainly is number one. And, and I have, you know, people, I don't know if crazy is the right word, but I have literally gotten up at 2 in the morning before work to go train when it's 35 below just because it's 35 below and I can check out my gear because what works at 10 below does not work at 35 below necessarily. Mm, so that's yeah. an advantage I, for me. But And if you're from a very warm climate, um, you know, we have one guy from California that comes out weeks early every year to acclimate, especially, and, you know, Brazilians, though, you know, at least a couple days to get used to the cold. Um, I, so, know, yeah, that was kind of a question is, um, you say training, and what goes through my head is I envision something like Arrowhead is not just the physical training like putting in 6,000 miles a year on the bike and going in doing hill intervals and you know sprinting to stop ahead signs and you know making sure your legs and your heart and lungs are as efficient and effective as they can be but just the training of like pushing a bike through snow or knowing when to push a bike through snow 
knowing how to carry your equipment, how to, there seems like there's so much more to training than just being fit. When, when I, the year I was going to ski, when I told you I went out skiing when it was 10 or 12 below, I had been just on the verge of getting blisters skiing, and I knew I was going to get blisters when I went for that long, and I did. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I brought some blister pads and or moleskin and put it on, and it worked. But that simulated racing, so it's like, oh, the first time that ever happened isn't during a race. I mean, mm-hmm. don't just train when it's 65 and sunny out. You know, force yourself to go out in the rain or the you know, the cold or the wind. One year we had crazy wind and everybody like just had all their hats on, just really goofy sideways just to block the wind. I mean, um, so it's it's a lot of mental toughness. And and if you look at the statistics statistics and our, our, um, the the race results if you look at the drops a majority of them are ch- at checkpoints and sure. and so i think what happens is folks get to a checkpoint and all of a sudden it's warm and there's something to drink and something to eat and they don't have to suffer and it's like okay pick me up i'm done um, for and, sure and, and, for and sure. they're okay you know so so put yourself in that situation ahead of time oh sure you know, my yeah, wife's go. always a phone call away, but I've never called her to pick me up, I don't think. Yeah. Ride, pick a seven-degree day and ride 30 miles into the wind and stop at a nice convenience store, hang out there for a minute, and then actually leave. Make yourself get like out. Yep. Walk back out the door yep. and go back into the wind and yep. and keep moving. And that's and, a great idea. That's actually genius. And and there are, um, you know, I, I keep talking about finishing, and and for some people, finishing is a goal. For some people, participating as a goal. I mean, we had a racer a couple of years ago that made it to i don't even remember but they had just gone through some medical issues and were absolutely thrilled to see the sun come up on the trail and the sun go down on the trail it was a huge success no trophy no finisher hat but like a resounding success um and i'll tell folks if you dnf at arrowhead you are in very 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 good company um, we've had literally legends that have dropped at Arrowhead. Um, so, and I, I tend to focus on finishing, but I shouldn't. It should be, I mean, whatever it is for you. Yeah, well, that's fair. That's a, a great, um, great advice. You know, again, it's considered one of the hardest races on earth. Right, right. Um, you talked about everybody having a goal or a, an objective. Um, <laughs> I have a bet with Gretchen Metza, the runner. Bad idea. I'm on a bike. She's going to run and see who can finish first. My money's on Gretchen for sure. I, nothing personal, but I think I would go that way too. <laughs> and I've never seen you ride personal. a bike, but I've, 
I've seen her run. I'm, I mean, I can be pretty fast on, uh, you know, whatever, but uh, my money's on Gretchen as well, so no offense taken. And she's she's volunteering this year, so uh, she will be, I believe, at Mel George's. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so folks. what do you think that... Go ahead. I was just going to say we get a lot of folks that either volunteer to check out the race and then race or run the race and then kind of want to pay it back and volunteer. And I'm actually already to the point now this year where I almost have to turn away volunteers because it's, it's just overwhelming how, how awesome people are about helping out. That's a great problem to have for sure. Not everybody is in that situation. It is. Also, with that only speaks three to you. checkpoints, there's not a lot. We can't offer a lot of help. Yeah, that's true. But uh, the fact that people want to be a part of it is uh, a compliment to the race director, in my opinion. Well, well thank you. Um, is that as good as chocolate? Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'm shopping, I'm shopping. Um uh, okay, so those are three things to focus on to get ready. Before I move away from that, what about sleeping? Like, do you recommend? And I know that, like, my plan for Arrowhead on a bike is to ride to Mel George's, mile 72, get some sleep, get some rest, get some warmth, get some dry, get some food, and when the sun comes up, get back on my bike and head uh, head towards tower. Um, so I don't intend to have to stomp out a place to sleep and set up my bivy and curl up in my 20 below bag and shiver through the night. I don't intend to, but I might have to. Where does that training or that practice uh, fall in your like list of priorities how how important is that skill so so i would say your plan is excellent Se- seriously um i would um i got a new sleeping bag about two years ago and i tried it out in 35 below and it was wonderful oh nice but it wasn't the first time so the first time I ever tried that bag and that bivy isn't, oh, crap, I'm in trouble at Arrowhead. I better see how this sleeping bag works. So even if you live in Iowa, for example, pick the coldest night and sleep outside. Force yourself to do it so it's not the first time you've done it. I think I've finished Arrowhead nine times, and I've only bivied twice. Hmm. But if, uh, if wh- you're a... If, if you're on foot, almost most of the foot people end up bivying the second night. There's just right. most people can make it through one night, but it's tough to go two nights without sleep. And there are some that do it. Yeah, named Bonnie. Yeah, she's wonderful. She is wonderful. She didn't sleep. Um, people have to watch a movie. I, did I mention on while we're recording that I'm working on a film about uh, Arrowhead? You did, yes. The 2020. Yes. Um, I'm intending to have that out and available for the world before uh, Arrowhead 2024. 
So this oh wonderful, this wonderful. I'm getting darn close. Gosh darn, COVID sent me back. But um, what do you think the biggest mistakes rookies can make would be? I think the again, if I focus on finishing, I think most people stop when they don't have to. They're okay, and they stop. And and maybe they're okay with that. Um, um, probably the other one is gear. Like um, if it's cold, you know, water bottles can't get your water bottles open because they're frozen. Um, bike mechanical issues, sleds not organized, not packed. When when it's real cold, you have to be super efficient because when you stop for anything, as long as you're moving, you can stay generally warm enough. But when you stop, you kind of have to have a plan and be organized. And especially hmm. like, okay, getting in your sleeping bag, you're going to be fine and you get, you're going to get in your sleeping bag and life is going to be okay. It's when you have to get out that things start going south because if you forgot to put your shoes inside, now they're frozen stiff, been there. Um, and you have to be really quick packing up because your hands and fingers are going to get super cold. Um, so probably probably gear and and just mindset of, you know, just check your. Am I okay? Can I keep going? Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of interesting. So we have a, a after the first checkpoint is thirty eight miles. Then Mel George is a 72, but halfway there's a pretty well-known crossing called Sheep Ranch. Mm-hmm. And we'll normally have me, actually me and the snowmobilers will kind of hang out there and we'll make sure everybody gets through. And this year, we, last year, everybody made it through Mel George's and we stopped every single, like the last 20 people. Hey, you okay? You okay? You okay? Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, I think within an hour or so, we had four or five people that we picked up and brought back to Sheep Ranch because they weren't okay or didn't want to keep going. Um, After they had just said they were okay? Yeah, within an hour or so. So What happened? It was really cold. Wow, that's a big change in one hour. It is. I was surprised myself, honestly, but... um, what I tell folks is if you don't think you can make it to the next checkpoint, don't leave the one you're at, you know, and, and we do have, we have wonderful snowmobile volunteers, but I hate to see people have that as part of their race strategy that, well, I'm just going to go till I can't and then get picked up because it might be a long time before you get picked up. Yeah. I, that's not a, I, I don't like that as a race strategy either. Yeah. For sure. Um, I want to jump back to equipment, required gear. Um, you know, there's some obvious things like bivy. You've got to be able to sleep right, in a right. 20 below bag in a bivy sack or a tent, whatever you choose to bring. Um, uh, calories, fire, those are all part of the, um, the required thing. But... Um, I want to ask you about calories because there's an interesting calorie requirement about finishing with X number of calories. 3,000. What is, how many? 3,000. So 
there's an equipment check after you cross the finish line and somebody has to have 3,000 calories on their person or or what? Um, they're going to get a penalty. Okay, a, a penalty. And, and so... Why so... do you... Why do you make them finish with 3,000 as opposed to you need to have 3,000 calories to start with and you can finish with zero because that means you used everything you ate? What's the logic behind having 3,000 calories at the finish line? So, so this is our 20th year, okay? And most people come to Arrowhead to, you know, to, to challenge themselves. Some people come to win. And so we would hear, and so that 3,000 calorie requirement has been there since, as far as I know, the first year. It's been there forever, for a very long time. So if you're coming to win, 3,000 calories is approximately a pound. So to some people, a pound matters. So if mm -hmm. you're going there to win and you can drop a pound, you're going to go faster. And And some people are... You know, in the early days, we would hear, hey, there's no way so-and-so had all that gear. They couldn't go that fast if they had all that gear. It's like, okay, we'll check at the finish line. So that's that's where that came from. And the Well, what's the, three, the logic of the 3,000 at the, at the finish? So there's, so if you get in trouble, you have some, so, so if you get in trouble, you have some calories, right? So if you got lost and got in trouble, and you're in your bivy and you needed some calories and you ate those calories, you know, I don't care if you have them at the finish line, but I'm really glad you had them when you're in trouble. Right. So and, it, and it essentially forces you to have emergency rations. That's exactly what it is. That's, that's exactly what it is. And there's a, back when I was racing before I was race director, there was, two guys that were I believe leading the race and they were well into the race and they both needed calories and they had butter or something that they didn't want to eat and they ended up I think one guy got lost and one guy went to town to get calories um, so very seldom do people need them but but it's just a fairness and a, a historical thing and it, it is for emergencies though I, I think it's interesting I was going to ask if you had any good stories of people diving into their emergency rations. Well, yeah, um, there's that. And then um, there's a racer named Scott Cummer from, I believe, Chicago. And he had been, and so probably 80% of the people use a pound of pe a jar of peanut butter for their calories. And mm -hmm. Scott had the same jar for, I don't know, three or four years. And he said if he DNF'd, he would eat it on video. And he did DNF, and it was just the most nasty-looking peanut butter, and he ate it. <laughs> oh, boy. Did he get sick? I don't know that. <laughs> we didn't ask. <laughs> no. I bet you would have heard about it if he did. <laughs> um, the funniest story I have about required gear, I asked Kanjo, Steve Cannon, before the race in 2020, as he was packing his bike, I was like, what's the one piece of required gear you hate putting on your bike? And he had a jar of peanut butter. He had two different ways to start a fire. Um, you know, the 
20 below bag, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He said, the one thing I hate because I never ever use it. I've done the Iditarod Trail to Nome, to McGrath. I've done Arrowhead X number of times, Tuscobia, all of this is a spare tube. No lie, I get a note from, uh, no, I saw him at the finish line. Um, guy from Dubuque. Oh, I'm going to mess his name up. But anyway, sure enough, Kanjo had a flat that year and had to use a spare tube. So a spare tube is not required gear. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, but, it is in Steve's mind. <laughs> I always carry one also. But but I, th this is one of the stories I tell about the people that come to Arrowhead. So a couple years ago, we had a racer had a flat at the first road crossing. Um, and th so three miles in, this racer has a flat and another racer comes and gives away his only spare tube. So that's just the kind of people that come to Arrowhead. Well, that's awesome. I hope that dude didn't need his spare tube yeah, that he gave away. It sucks when you see people changing flat tires. I think, I don't know what the record is. I think Charlie Farrell one year had five flats, and I think Jim Wilson one oh. year had a bunch of flats. Is it okay to say names? I don't know if I should do that or not, but. Uh, I mean, I don't think they would mind. No. no. <laughs> you can say names. It's okay. Um, all right. Well, um, what's one story, and then I'll let you go. In 20 years, you're sitting around the fire, the group of friends. What's one story that you're going to pull out of your experiences at Arrowhead that you're going to still tell in 20 years? Uh, easy. There, there's lots, but this is one of the most amazing ones. And this is from one of my snowmobilers was telling this, and he, he wrote it in one of our galleries. So I forget, we're 50 hours into the race, and th this happens to both be females. But So they're 50 hours in, and one racer comes up, and, and another racer had stopped, and she says, I you know, I have to stop. I, I can't keep going anymore. And she says, no, you're not stopping. She says, well, I can't pull my sled. It's, I just I have an asthma trouble. I can't pull my sled. So this is 50, 50 hours in. She says, well, I'll pull it for you. So, so and I, I mean, think about it. People are trying to cut one pound of peanut butter or not carry a spare tube, right? I mean, People cut the right. tags off their sleeping bags to shave weight, and she's going to pull two sleds. Wow. So he comes up on them, and he sees one lady pulling two sleds, and the other lady walk, and then she checks on them, and they're okay. And So this goes on for a while, and she says, I can't keep going. i got to stop. And she says, no, you're not. So now he comes by the next time, and the one lady's sitting on a sled, and the lady's pulling. Yeah. And they both finished. Unreal. Stop. Now, that. I don't know how long that went on, but that was unbelievable. Wow. That's incredible. That's, yeah. 
That's the spirit of Arrowhead. <laughs> yeah. No, we've had we've had some pretty amazing stuff, but that's right up there, and that's probably my top story. Now, is that lore, or is that real? No, that's real. That's amazing. That's so, amazing. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so Todd, Todd Gabrielson and his crew have been my snowmobile volunteers since I've been race director, which is 11 years, and they were doing it before that. But um, that's Todd's story, and he wrote about it, but it is true. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I literally have goosebumps. Now, obviously, she couldn't do that for that long, but to, to help right. help her, you know. And I don't even know if they knew each other. Which makes it even better, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, well, where would you send someone for the best information about the race, about just any information for uh, for Arrowhead? Obviously, not for this year, for folks who've just heard of it the first time in uh, the middle of November. But, um, uh, you know, somebody's thinking about doing a fat bike race or a run or a ski or all three. So uh, where's the best place to go for information? So when I started, you learned everything the hard way, and it took years to figure stuff out. And now, if you... You literally can spend a couple hours on your computer and learn what it used to take years to learn. So two two things I would advise is arrowheadultra.com, our website, and there's a section galleries. And just go through the years and people write very detailed race reports, what socks work, what underwear works, what stove, what food, what fuel, what bikes, what everything. Um, and, and of course it, you know, take it with a grain of salt, who's writing it, but so, so a tremendous amount of information there. We also have a Arrowhead 135 Dream Team on Facebook, and there's a ton of information and questions and information sharing on there. It doesn't seem quite as active this year yet, but it's also three months out from race day. But those would be two. Also, YouTube. There's um, there there have been some other films and videos on Arrowhead, and they are you know very good. Um, Deal, and people can watch for sixty hours. <sighs> January. I'll commit to January. How's that? All right. I'm making sounds, a commitment with you as my good. witness. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, uh, Ken, I'm excited to come up and uh, spend 60 hours with you. Obviously, it'll be a little more before and after. Yes. Um, I I will be hanging out with the back of the Packers and uh, probably enjoying myself. I'm, yes. I'm guessing based on how I know they roll. Yes. But uh, I also feel like I'll be in good hands with uh, uh, Steve McGuire and... Uh, his years and years and years and years of experience uh, riding long distances in the snow. So feeling pretty good about it. But um, I don't know, Arrowhead 135, International Falls, Minnesota, uh, January, what's the date this year? 29th to the 31st. It always starts the last Monday in January. How's it start? The last Monday in January. Oh, with fireworks. 
and release the hounds and off they go that's awesome well thanks uh thanks tons and i don't know stay warm up there that's a little bit of a joke because it's been very warm here and i know it's been warm up there as well but uh, i don't know we'll be praying yeah i'll be praying for a little snow for you too pretty soon thank you it was you made it super easy to 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 have this conversation you made it really easy and enjoyable appreciate that oh well good i appreciate that as well and uh it was a treat to have you on for sure i appreciate you coming on my pleasure thanks tons to ken for joining us on bike talk with dave i can't wait to see him in a year at the starting line in international falls minnesota if you are winter ultra curious check it out at arrowheadultra.com and maybe you can begin your journey through the Minnesota Northwoods with me next winter. Now, as you may recall, one of the races that I'm doing to help me get ready for Arrowhead during the summer is the Core 4. It's a race in Iowa City in August. Check it out. Who's ready for some Core 4 news? After a huge spike in riders and a super thank you to everyone for coming out this year, these guys jumped right back into the fire. It's no surface untouched again for 2024 because Core 424 has a sweet sound to it, no doubt. New routes, new distances, and a new you. That's right y'all, they are mixing it up with more surprises and delights. New for 24 is the core 40 distance. Just a bump up from the 20 mile and still has all the farmscapes and B roads and champagne gravel you'd expect from the folks at core four, just without the single track. They're telling us 60 is the new 50, miles that is. It's a no surfaced untouched podium eligible route with all the cats in addition to their marquee 100 mile event. It's the perfect blend of competition and community. We want Core 4 to be on your event calendar for 2024. Jump on Bike Reg today, snag your spot before this event reaches its cap. Come ride the wave and get more bodies on bikes. It's blazing hot action every year and they'll keep the fire stoked all winter long with the 20, 40, 60, or 100 mile route, Core 4 24 has something for everyone. It's time for the next time. Let's go. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, I'd appreciate it if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you really love the show, you are welcome to drop a few coins in the cup at buymeacoffee.com. Just look for Bike Talk with Dave. And if you do, I will be happy to send you a sticker. And new next year, if you want to be a part of the show and sponsor an episode or a month or a season and reach a worldwide and, of course, local audience, just shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. And we'll talk about how Bike Talk with Dave can help you build your business. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week.
We've got a great episode next week with professional cyclist and coach Hannah Otto, who's got some great advice on building your race and event calendar, as well as stories from her latest race, La Ruta de la Conquistador in Costa Rica. I hope you'll join us. And in the meantime, remember that nothing compares to the simple pleasure of riding a bicycle.
Hey, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my conversation. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, this Arrowhead thing is definite paradigm shift for me. And I'm super stoked to have Steve help me through and help me answer some of the questions and get me ready to not only succeed at Arrowhead, but like not have to be rescued from a ditch when it's 40 below in a snowstorm in northern Minnesota. So, I mean, that's kind of my bottom line. I like want to live through the thing. Um, whether I get to the finish or not, living is, uh, I mean, living is, is high priority. So Steve's going to help me do that. I'm stoked about it and I'm stoked to have his help. Uh, we'll be checking back periodically. I'm going to, next week we're talking with Ken Kruger, the director the race director of the Arrowhead 135, get a bit of the history, the bit of the why, a bit of his advice for me and others like me who want to uh, be prepared for a race like the Arrowhead 135. And uh, and then periodically I'll be throwing in episodes with Steve. I will take you on a training adventure as I get ready to, again, not die on the Arrowhead 135. One of the things that I'm going to be doing to prepare is riding the Core 4, where no surface is left untouched. Check it out.